This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. So I finally have the new site launched. Um, I struggled for months, and then my buddy Justin jumped in and helped, and uh, thank you so much for that, by the way. I'll get into more detail of that at another time, but uh, I'm considering this more of a soft launch because I have no idea what's going to happen. I think I checked every single page. I think everything's fine. Um, There's just a lot of updates that need to be done. You know, there are so many pages out of date. Uh, There's a few other things that uh, that I'm probably going to find bugs or something, but... Overall, it's probably no worse than the old site was, and there's the new news section, which everything that I talk about uh, from now on will all reference a news page on the site. Uh, I just figured this was probably the easiest way for everybody, because a lot of people ask about the things I talk about. Sometimes it's really hard to find links, and now it's just uh, everything I talk about's got a quick little blog snippet that's searchable with hashtags, so... Uh, I don't know. I think I think we're good. So <laughs> please feel free to try it out and let me uh, you know let me know what everybody thinks. And also uh, another huge thank you to Smoke Monster for jumping in and writing a lot of the articles this week because I was just drowning and catching up uh, with other stuff and trying to get the website up. So uh, I actually probably missed a lot of news. I will catch up on all of that next week. Um, there's a few things I've been wanting to talk about too, like the other uh, PC Engine uh, solution that does DVI and optical drive emulation. But uh, I really, there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about that requires time, and there's just stuff that I, I just hadn't gotten to. Uh, so please excuse this one if it's not as thorough as a usual week, but uh, hopefully with the new site up and running, this will all be a lot smoother and uh, maybe even get a little better. Who knows? But let's jump into the news. And once again, thank you so much to Justin and to Smoke Monster for helping me out this week. I'll get into more details about that at another time. But uh, on with the news. I got to start out on a bit of the nerdier side because this is something that's been driving me crazy for years now. Genesis and SMS jail bars. And anybody rolling their eyes right now, uh, please remember that, you know, while you might not ever notice on a CRT, even on a really nice calibrated BVM, these days with OSFC and 5X mode and, you know, very nice flat screen TVs, it's starting to get very easy to see. And in certain games, it's pretty distracting. You know, when it's just on the solid backgrounds, it's not that big a deal. But sometimes it really does distract me from actual gameplay. And of course, the bigger the TV, the easier it is to see. So with 65-inch flat screen TVs being like 500 bucks now, this is a common thing. Uh, but a little rant over. The actual issue is that even when doing an RGB bypass, you still get some kind of jail bars on an SMS, and even on some model um, Sega Genesis or Mega Drives as well. And unlike what was previously thought, it doesn't make any difference if it's PAL or NTSC. Uh, You could try anything and you're still going to get them. So Voltar was testing his new Genesis bypass board on an SMS, which, by the way, uses the same components, so you could use one for both now. He did verify that. 
Um, but he was finding that he was still getting very light jail bars, which had nothing to do with the bypass. It was the console itself. Um, so because this was something that I'd worked on so often, I remember dragging Tim Worthington, Worthington into this, as well as Steve from HD Retrovision. I jumped on my Genesis, which is uh, the, has the subcarrier pin lifted, so it's close to a bypass. Um, and he and I got the exact same jail bars, even though he was using an RGB bypass master system and I was using a mostly stock Genesis, uh, just with a very clear RGB output. So he went in looking and uh, just to double check, I also fired up the Analog NT Mini, the FPGA solution, and loaded up the same games. And I'll show you, uh, I'll put pictures on the screen right now, but it is crystal clear. There, um, you can't see any jail bars at all. So it's not like it's in the game or something like that. Um, obviously this could be verified with emulators as well, but cooler to do it that way through the same capture equipment, same everything else. Um, but what Zach actually found was that uh, in his video, he was able to manipulate the signal um, and make it better and worse. So I'm not really sure if that's going to be showing up here or if that's, uh, if that's something that could even be seen. But he's, uh, if you click on the link down below to either his Twitter feed or the, uh, the actual YouTube video, it's very obvious to see what all of that interference is. Um, and he seems to think that it's the location of the VDP. So he had to stop his testing and move on to other things. We were all cracking the whip waiting for him to finish other projects. But um, he did end up saying that it's a possibility that if you move the location of the VDP, you could remove these jail bars. So uh, any of you awesome developers out there that has an SMS that wants to give this thing a try, uh, definitely let me know. Um, you know, if uh, I could share any of the screen caps or research that I've done with you, uh, it's just a really nagging problem, and I feel like there's no reason why we can have crystal clear RGB output on Super Nintendo, on Turbo Graphics, but not the Genesis. So anybody that's willing to take a look, definitely uh, you know let me know, post in the comments, and maybe we could finally come to uh, you know some kind of solution or at least a very definitive way of saying this is why and this is why it can't be fixed. Kind of put the debate to end. Um, as much as that would suck, I'd rather know uh, than, than still be well, guessing. But sorry for the long, ranty, uh, technical thing to open it, but this one kind of means a lot to all of us Sega fans, and I think there's a lot of us out there. So who knows, maybe some of the awesome devs could take a look and see what we could find. The Genesis homebrew game Mini Planets just got an update that fixed some sprite issues as well as made it more compatible with different revisions of real hardware. So if you're a fan of the game, definitely pick up the latest version. 8-Bit Doe just announced that they'll now be selling do-it-yourself wireless kits for existing controllers. They're going to have kits for NES, SNES, and of course the classic versions, as well as the Genesis 6-button controller. These can be used with any of their retro receiver dongles, uh, and it seems like a pretty neat idea. I know a bunch of people who had bought those 8-bit dough controllers had said that they ended up switching out the guts with original ones or really didn't like certain things about one but liked the others. So I think this is a pretty cool way of just doing an internal swap-out kit. Um, and of course, you know, hold on to your originals if you're using an OEM, or sometimes there's really great cheap aftermarket ones that maybe you have laying around or you want to pick up. So overall, as always, the more options, the better, in my opinion. Um, and I do really love wireless controllers. Uh, I'll show my setup soon enough, but basically every console I have 
at the moment, uh, almost every console has some kind of wireless controller hooked up to it, just because I'm very often doing testing, firing something over, uh, turning something on over there, firing something off, coming over, and I'm standing at my computer with a wireless controller, like taking a screen cap. It just, uh, there's a lot of good reasons to have a wireless controller, even if it isn't your main gaming controller, especially nowadays with all of us that have huge TVs and they're 10 feet away and everything. But anybody that's interested, um, they should be available on Amazon soon, but I believe at the moment they're only uh, available directly through 8BitDo's website. Uh, do, do, whatever. But uh, yeah, anybody interested, check out the links. There's now a four pin harness available on SaveYourGames.it that helps for writing firmware upgrades to Darksoft's CPS2 kit. So anybody uh, with one of those kits might need one of these. Um, I don't own a kit yet, so uh, if you own one, maybe check out the link in the description and see if it's something you could use. Just a quick update on the Sentinel Super Guns. It looks like the creator has finalized the PCBs and is currently having a few made. Uh, so it looks like Smoke Monster will probably get one in relatively soon to test. And I'm pretty excited because uh, I think a lot of people could use a mid-range super gun. Even for people that just kind of want to maybe dip their toe in the water for arcade board gaming. Um, the HAS is pretty awesome, but uh, maybe not all of us need that. So uh, I'm excited to try one. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting a few arcade boards and being able to enjoy that. And hopefully I could make the most out of my little apartment. Maybe that's the solution is just get a bunch of the boards, build some cool little case for them, and then have a super gun. But I guess I'll find out. A team of people on the Sega 16 forums is asking for help fixing the game Zero Wing. Apparently there's a bug in the game that allows players to get pretty much infinite lives and infinite points, which is preventing people from having a legitimate scoreboard. So if anybody's interested in that kind of stuff, any kind of competitive gaming, and you also have the ability to check through the code, maybe check out the thread down below and see if it's something you'd be willing to help with. The creator of many Sega Genesis arcade color hacks has now started a Patreon. This is the person named Pyron who's done all of those very cool conversions that let the games on Genesis look closer to their arcade counterparts. I was pretty impressed the first time I saw one of these color hacks. Uh, and it's kind of funny too because some of these things I just prefer the way I've always seen it because maybe I didn't play the arcade version. And others, my mind was totally blown where I thought, wow, this looks exactly like the arcade. This is so much better. So this is just one of those preference hacks um, that some people love, some people don't care so much about. But if you're interested in that kind of work, maybe consider supporting the Patreon. And I know there's been more and more debate lately about Patreons and, you know, who should have one, who shouldn't have one. And I have a very strong opinion that if you like somebody's work and you want to support what they do, just go for it. You know, most of these people, including myself, don't have a minimum limit. So I, the way I look at these things is everybody that I like, that I enjoy their content or their creations or anything they do, if they put on a Patreon, I'll throw as much as I can a month, which is usually around a dollar or so. <laughs> but uh, I just, I have no problem doing that. And I think stuff like that, um, you know, it's, it's really helpful for everybody. You know, the people that can contribute whatever it is they can, even a dollar, feel like they get to help out at least a little bit supporting people that they, they're fans of. Um, and if a, enough people do it, a dollar times a lot of people is a lot of dollars. So that's, uh, you know, who knows? I, I like the thought of, being, of people being able to do what they love for a living and everybody winning. So um, anybody that wants to go on the Patreon debate, go right ahead on it without me because that's a pretty simple and pretty strong opinion. If you're a fan of somebody and you like what they do and you have the ability to throw a buck, why not?
So uh, I, I think Pyron's work's amazing, and I'll be supporting him. And I hope we get a bunch more cool color hacks. So uh, I don't know. If you, you like it, check out the link in the description. Smoke Monster just posted a write-up on how to make three or four player super gun harnesses for games like uh, Ninja Turtles, X-Men, and all those. Um, and if you have a home arcade super gun, the HAS, you wouldn't need this, but pretty much all others might. So uh, anybody that wants that or how to make stereo audio leads, check out the link. There's now a video that shows how to set up the home arcade super gun, which is really designed for its ease and uh, trying to make things as simple as possible. So anybody that was really worried of uh, maybe this is too complicated to set up or am I gonna have to solder a lot of wires and check voltages and stuff, using the home arcade super gun really helps with a lot of that stuff. So check out the video from Modology and see if it's something you'd be interested in. But I think it's something that most people would think is simpler than they originally thought. Someone just posted a video on how they cleaned their Sony PVM monitor uh, inside and out with non-conductive cleaner spray, which I have to admit, it's a little nerve-wracking at first to see them pull the back off of this and then just start spraying liquid right into it, but that's actually exactly what this non-conductive cleaner is designed for. Um, it's designed for components that, uh, you know, it, it can't, there can't be any shorts at all because it could be potentially dangerous. I like to err on the side of caution when it comes to things that are, are so dangerous like CRTs. So personally, I would probably discharge it first and I would also be very careful when spraying around the anode cup, just I don't want anything to, to get into the, uh, any crevice that it shouldn't. But overall, stuff like this, as long as it's done carefully, should be okay. But when you watch it, there's a couple times where I'm sure you'll take a deep breath, like, oh no, you just sprayed the power, <laughs> the power circuit. But uh, yeah, I mean, and stuff like this brings up another point. There's a lot of, of gross old electronics that I work on. And cleaning with non-conductive sprays or fluids are, are really a good idea, as long as you know what you're doing. Uh, I keep telling all of my nerd friends that, uh, that have the extra space, that they need to get a small, like apartment-sized um, dishwasher and then run it with uh, non-conductive liquid, distilled water, whatever else, depending on the board. Um, and then maybe having a UV drying station or depending on what part of the country you live in, just leaving it right out in the sun. Uh, but that's a little extreme, but there are, you know, it's better than the alternative. I've seen a few PCBs on eBay that uh, come to find out the reason they looked so pristine is because somebody just put them in their real dishwasher and then left them out to dry. So those little microscopic particles uh, that's in water is what could do a lot of damage, especially when little bits can sit underneath the chips and stuff like that. And fluid like it's used in this video um, doesn't have that and evaporates a lot quicker. So yeah, hopefully we can get some of the nerds around New York to, to build one of these so we could start cleaning some of these old gross PCBs in there. <laughs> I just posted an interview with Christoph, the creator of the Dreamcast HDMI mod. Uh, it was great to talk to him and to get to know him, and uh, he has a, you know, it was a pretty, pretty cool story on how he figured out how to do all this stuff and, and create such a very cool mod. Um, more details about it are in the interview, and I think uh, Dan, Citrus3000PSI, is going to be getting some of the first hardware for this relatively soon. I believe he's waiting on a flex cable, which uh, anybody that follows some of the retro gaming stuff knows that that could be a nightmare sometimes. But hopefully everything will all fall into place, and this will be something that can be purchased either as kits or full installs. And uh, I just, uh, as I said in the interview, and I don't mind repeating myself, 
myself, the Dreamcast is one of those consoles where I genuinely think that it could be enjoyed equally on a PVM as it would on a brand new flat screen. Because I just think there's so many games, some cool fighters that look right at home and on an arcade monitor, but there are so many games on it that look like a modern game. And being able to have a 1080p HDMI solution for it I think is very awesome, and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it. So anybody interested in the story behind it, definitely check out the interview. Anyone with a jailbroken PS Vita can now set the color output to full range, which is a big deal for some TVs like brand new OLED TVs that can support the full color range, because not only do you get the better looking picture, as Smoke Monster took in his pictures, but you also get the opposite when you don't match up the correct color range. So on my TV, if, uh, if I have something in full range, it looks crystal clear, but I have, if I have something that's not full range and my TV is set to it, that kind of gives this weird almost jail bar effect in the middle. Uh, so this is a great thing for anybody that has a TV that supports it. Apparently this was a hidden mode that for some reason wasn't enabled in the Vita, but was enabled in the PS TV, I believe. So uh, this, isn't, uh, this isn't a feature that somebody hacked in. This was a Sony feature that people unlocked that for some reason was hidden. But it just seems like something where if you have a newer OLED TV and a Vita, there's really no reason not to do this. There's been an update to the Cadillac and Dinosaurs CPS-2 conversion, and for anybody that doesn't know what that is, very quickly, CPS-2 is essentially a Capcom arcade console with different games that you could put in, um, and a lot of people have purchased Darksoft's multi-cart for it so that you could add all of the CPS-2 games on it. Um, this is both for Dirty Pirates as well as for people that uh, are looking to preserve original games, um, knowing that these arcade boards are not going to last forever. So there is not a multi for the CPS-1, or I, I don't know if 1.5 is an official name or if it's a nickname, but, uh, but those games. So a lot of those rarer games, people are trying to convert to CPS-2 so you can play them on your CPS-2 kits. There's been a few out there that have been successful, uh, and it's pretty exciting because anybody that has these kits can now pr help preserve a true arcade experience for these games, which is obviously something that's very important to me and a lot of the people that I, uh, I kind of hang out with. Um, so at the moment, I believe it's able to be flashed and played on the Darksoft Multi, but there's still a few things to work out. Um, and the creator of it, um, Neo CPS one is looking for some help in finishing it. So uh, anybody that's into that stuff, definitely check out the link. Uh, even if you're just following the project, uh, I'm a big fan of these things, uh, especially with CPS boards, um, or any of the Capcom boards had the suiciding fix. Now it's just, uh, it's opening up a, a very cool door for people that want to start getting into arcade gaming. Extremes has just posted another update for the Game Boy interface software. This one adds support for the Nintendo DS Rumble Packs. Uh, so I believe there's two of them. One of them fit in the Game Boy Advance slot and was just essentially a Rumble Pack. So this could be used when you're using the Game Boy Advance as the controller using that special cable, which I think is pretty awesome. And this also supports the DS Slide Controller Rumble support. And I have to admit, I needed to look that one up, but essentially that turns your DS into a mouse or something. Uh, I've never seen one in person, and I didn't even know it existed. Uh, maybe that's dumb. Maybe this is something everybody knows about, and I just it just slipped by me. But it's pretty cool that now any of the DS Rumble supports are also supported. So, as always, thanks to Extremes for just never giving up and always pumping some more awesome features into the software. 
Rayquaman just posted a pretty neat screenshot of the Nintendo Switch version of the Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection versus the Sega Saturn version through the OSSC, and the Saturn version looks better. So it's pretty impressive that all these years later, the original hardware through the OSSC still looks better than some of these ports. Um, so Ray, you got to get down to iFix in Brooklyn and check out the actual arcade versions as well through the OSSC. Uh, I don't know if you've been down there yet, but you'd love them. But still kind of blows my mind that 30 years later we can't get a perfect port of this thing. Smoke Monster just added a BPS version of his patch for Metal Slug 2 CD Turbo for the Neo Geo CD. So this is just for people that prefer to use BPS patches over IPS. There's a group of people looking to create a fighting game engine for the Sega Genesis called Mujin. I think I'm saying that right. Um, and it's aiming to be a 60 frames per second homebrew game engine to create new fighters with. So it looks pretty cool, um, and it looks like something that's a, a great tool for people that want to build games like this. So anybody interested, check out the link down below. The Rebug team was showing pictures of their Nintendo Switch mod chip. Uh, and there aren't too many more details on it, but I hope this is a way that you're able to boot your Switch without doing any kind of crazy hacking or going to a website or anything. Uh, I hope this is just one step closer to being able to boot right into a jailbreak homebrew mode. And uh, I just, I gotta say it every time, I'm really excited for this, not because I'm a dirty pirate, because uh, I do love homebrew and I love some of the other stuff that this, this kind of hacking would have to offer. Um, I'll admit that I do use hacked consoles for try-before-you-buy type of things, because I certainly wish I didn't buy some of the Switch games I bought this year. Uh, there'll be a video coming up on that soon. But um, overall, I, I love hacking of all kinds, and I do always buy the games that I like, regardless if they're classic games or brand new. Uh, and I would actually go double on the brand new games, because I, I would rather support a developer making a new game that I thought was okay, um, than not, because you never know, maybe that's a stepping stone for that development team to make an amazing game next time, uh, and I just, I, I don't, I feel very weird uh, taking my purchase away from teams like that, especially with indie games, so, sorry, I'll, I'll get off my, uh, my jailbreaking high horse there. Uh, if there is a, a good, solid way to hack a Switch, I'll definitely be doing some kind of video on it to show how, because I genuinely think the, uh, the for, for most of us the tech people, the goods outweigh the bads for situations like this. Firebrand X teased pictures of his Sega M1 double mega board. That just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, this is the board that he created that allows you to switch between the YM2612 and the YM3438 chip, which essentially gives it a different sound uh, using original hardware. He's going to have a video, uh, an installation video and a demo video out on this soon. And I believe he'll have a few of these for sale, but he's going to do um, purchase, uh, make to order, but not uh, not order a bunch in advance. Because I think these boards and the chips are probably, yeah, the chips are probably harder to come by and the boards are expensive. Um, so this is going to be more of a, a slow rollout type of thing. But I'm very interested in purchasing one myself and... Uh, you know, audio is subjective. I don't know if I'm going to like it. Uh, I have a feeling, based on just my past history with audio mods, that I'm going to love it on some games and, and prefer the original on others. But that's why I love stuff like this. More choices, right? Um, so I'll do an update to this as soon as Firebrand X posted uh, the video or any more purchase information, uh, which should be by the next uh, video, I think, by, by next week's roundup. 
It looks like a few SNES MSU1 audio hacks were just released. And very quickly, for anybody not familiar, MSU1 audio is a hack that allows you to get CD quality audio onto SNES games through emulators or on real hardware if you have an SD to SNES ROM cart. So uh, the games that just got the recent hacks are Maui Mallard and Cold Shadow. I don't know that one. Uh, R-Type 3, Captain Commando, and Sunset Riders. Riders. So anybody that uh, anybody that's interested, check out the link down below. And if anybody is interested in which ROM cards to get and why, uh, check out the SD to SNES page on the site because that goes into detail as to what it does, uh, how to get the best audio out of it, and all the, the usual good stuff. The Commodore 64 Mini is now getting a North American release date. On October 9th, it'll be available for most big retailers such as Best Buy and Amazon. Um, and the reviews were kind of mixed from the UK, but I'm interested in trying one and seeing what I think. The, the one thing I do remember everybody saying is that the keyboard doesn't work, so you need to plug a USB keyboard into it if you want to use that. So just keep that in mind if you plan on getting one. Up next, I invited Ace on to talk pretty quickly about the Super Nintendo audio issue that he found. At first, I was going to do it myself, and then I realized... I just I couldn't do it as well as he could, um, so I just asked if he wouldn't mind coming on and explaining exactly what the problem is and how to fix it. Luckily, in most cases, it's just adding a capacitor. Um, so it's a bit technical, but anybody that's into SNES audio might want to give it a listen. Uh, and as always, thank you very much to Ace for all your help. Uh, he does a ton of behind-the-scenes work in the retro gaming community, um, and I'm, I'm glad to see him out in front of the camera again talking to people because I, I hope he gets the recognition he deserves for all the great work that he does. So uh, thank you, Ace, and uh, check out this pretty cool description of SNES Audio. Hey, guys, I'm here with Ace, who is going to try and explain a SNES Audio issue that I tried to figure out and then realized I just need to go talk to Ace because I'll screw it up. <laughs> What's up, man? <laughs> Nothing much, you. Yeah, same old. So um, can, you, uh, can you learn us on some SNES Audio here, please? Yes, so what I had encountered was while recording some music uh, earlier in the month, I was seeing that in specific sections of, say, some opening notes of music from Mega Man X3, that it seemed as if the left audio channel was consistently louder than the right. Hmm. And upon testing further uh, with more systems, different board revisions, it seemed to me that there was a common fault possibly with uh, revisions SHVC-CPU-01 up to SNS-CPU-RGB-02, and that includes the GPM in the middle, mm -hmm. where every system has the left channel louder than the right in completely inconsistent manners. Some of them would be maybe a little bit off balance, but some others would be quite significantly off. And for those who own one chips or APU boards, this is this is not a concern to you. Those are properly balanced. So it's just the older two-chip models then, or the one two-chip model that's the APU version, correct? That's the only one that's not affected. Okay, I gotta ask the stupid question though. You tried different cables, different inputs, measuring through the computer. I'm I assuming you already did that. <laughs> yes, I did literally everything, and I do have. I've even asked people to send me samples from their Super NESs. Mm -hmm. And what I had found, here is an example. This is an Audacity capture. Okay, this is pretty much the norm. I don't know if you can see yep. over here the amplitude. This Point is the difference between three. left and right. Okay. Yeah, 0.443. This is with a mono sample from Mega Man X. The worst I've seen is a sample that I was sent of a GPM-02. 0.79. 0.79. 
It's almost an entire decibel off. Wow. Yeah, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So it took me some time to actually figure it out because when I was looking at this, I thought, what the hell is the problem here? Because I was seeing that all the one chips were not affected, the APU was not affected, and all those older systems were affected up to the RGB boards. What I found was that APU-01 introduced a completely different DAC to what was in the previous revisions, which is the NEC UPD-6379. And they also have the UPD-6376 for the older revisions. And I'm going to show where the issue lies, and this is actually part of this... I can't take full credit for it because I was pointed to the UPD-6376 datasheet by EP386. And looking through that, I'm going to first show part of the schematic here. Focus on what's highlighted in red here. This is a single 47 microfarad capacitor connected to pins 9 and 10 of the DAC. Those pins are voltage references for the left and right DACs. Now, you would think that by looking at this... It looks fine, but that's until you start looking at the data sheet. Take a look at the difference here. Pins 9 and 10 again. There is a second 47 microfarad capacitor on pin 10. Hmm. So what ends up happening here is... I'm not entirely sure what the deal is because... I, I can't really measure exactly what the problem is here because what I was seeing was that with the split uh, capacitors like this... I would get different voltages for the left and right DACs, but connecting both together would be the same. It's the same voltage, but it's completely off balance. And uh, what you need to do is this exact split. You still keep C73 on your board, but you need to add a second capacitor to pin 10. And this will vary. The procedure will vary depending on the board revision. So what you need to do is... The trickiest is the SHVC CPU-01 because you have to first get into the SHVC sound module. That's which, the, so for, um, for people that are technically oriented but maybe have never just opened one of those, uh, when you open the top of this nest, there's a different daughter board that sits on top that's like a square that you box. have to pull off. That box right there. Yes. So, yeah. yeah okay, you so. need to pull out the bottom of the metal casing mm -hmm. to actually get access inside. What you have to do, the trace that links pins 9 and 10 is under the chip. So for this revision, you are forced to remove either pin 9 or pin 10 off the board mm -hmm. to solder a 47 microfarad capacitor to ground from there. That seems a little bit tricky because that's a... Um, well, it's not as bad as lifting other pins, but it's, it's still... It's a bit cramped, though. Yeah. It is cramped, but what I found was that the pins do seem to be more rigid than most chips. So, from what I can tell, the risk of breaking them off is lower than normal. All right, good. Some but of those SNES the, chips, like especially yeah. on the one chip, the, uh, the, you know, the actual main uh, SNES chip, those are so brittle. If you lift those the wrong way, those will snap right off. Oh, no, those QFPs are very fragile. Yeah, all right, as long as it's not that bad, that's at least doable no, then. No, it's easier for the GPM and RGB boards because that trace is right in between pins 9 and 10. So, all you have to do is to just cut it off and solder from pin 10 to ground. Okay. Okay, that's actually not, not too terrible then. No, for those ones it's fairly easy. And this is a, a mini sample, but this is from a Super NES Mini, but on average, you might sometimes get some component tolerances mm -hmm, playing mm -hmm. into uh, audio balance here. But this particular one, uh, 0 .034, that would probably be 
maybe worst case scenario provider, you don't have really out of spec parts in your circuit. Right. Because I did have my SHVC CPU one Super Famicom with a fixed SHVC sound still have 0.3 decibels off. Hmm. So there's something else funky going on in that particular console. But, and to explain, uh, if, you'll, if you'll let me. Yeah. Uh, this is the UPD6379. Uh, if you see here, the ref pin, this is actually internally connected to both DECs. So you only need a single 47 microfarad cap on this particular vision. So with the later systems with the APU board and with the one chip uh, setup, this, uh, this layout's fine. But for the older revision, you absolutely need to put two capacitors instead of just the one that Nintendo already put on the board. I wonder where I wonder if that was a mistake, or I wonder if there was something else in mind when they were doing that. But it seems the just like a straight I, up mistake. To me, it seems more like cost cutting because these are both reference pins, and they both go to two individual capacitors. So I think what Nintendo had in mind here was to just save costs on a capacitor by linking both of the reference pins to a single capacitor, which completely throws off the balance. That's interesting, and you know it's. It's a little sad, but I really, I would have never stumbled across this because when I did the majority of my SNES testing, I was in an apartment, so I couldn't really crank a stereo. Uh, and then when I got into SNES Mini, the optical audio testing and all that, I started using, you know, my professional grade headphones for that I do for music and all that. But I don't think I ever went back and listened to the original consoles. I think I stuck with my one chips. So it's, uh, it's embarrassing that I let that slide. So thank you for catching it. Yeah. <laughs> Even I thought that uh, the Super NES was immune to the audio minefield that is the Genesis. Yeah. But it turns out that it's actually quite a bit more inconsistent than it seems. <laughs> there is more to it than just that audio balance issue, but that's a topic for another day. And adding one capacitor and lifting one pin is something that somebody with intermediate skills could easily do, and it's very cheap. So it's it's an excellent start that people with the original two chips that uh, fall into that category should probably just do if they have the skills to it. So Oh, sure, and it's even easier if you have an RGB or GPM board because you just need to cut a trace. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to explain this because I guarantee I would have screwed it up. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to help. Thanks, thanks for very much, me. Ace. Well, that's it for this week. I have so many questions for you guys, though. Do you still want me to leave the links to the individual articles down in the description? Or since it's just on RetroRGB, would you just rather go and search by hashtag? I think maybe people would prefer the timestamps. So yes, still leave the links. But uh, I don't know. Please give me feedback on that. Um, how, does, uh, how does the video look? I'm using uh, autofocus for the first time because before every time I stepped back I would go autofocus and now it seems to be updating pretty quickly so does that look okay? Uh, I just got a new E2S capture card from Art. Thank you very much for that dude. Uh, so is that working just as good as the last? So much, so many questions and so many things going on but as always, thanks to everybody for watching. Thanks to all my amazing Patreon supporters. Thanks to Smoke Monster for writing all those articles. And of course, thanks to Justin for helping me get this website up and running. Hopefully, I'll keep powering forward and just keep adding stuff and catching up with all the things on there that are very out of date. But uh, thanks for your patience with all this stuff. And uh, I'll be back on track next week uh, with all of the news that I missed this time because I was <laughs> doing website stuff. So thanks again, and I'll see you next time.